0: And welcome to The Shortlist. I am your host, Johnny Campbell, CEO and co-founder of Social Talent. And welcome to our weekly show where we interview talent leaders from around the world to understand what's happening in their world, what are they thinking about, what are the big themes affecting their business that hopefully inform what's happening in the general talent world, talent acquisition, talent development, and retention. Today's guest uh, is a, become a good friend of mine over the last few years. She has uh, just an amazing amount of experience working in talent acquisition for a whole host of particularly consumer-oriented brands, and that's going to feed big time into our theme this week, which is on candidate experience. Before we get into that, quick reminder that The Shortlist is a weekly show. It's available live on LinkedIn and YouTube, but you can re-watch any of our live shows, and you can also check out our podcast on Apple and Spotify and other sources by going to socialtalent.com forward slash the shortlist where you can also subscribe for future shows and make sure you get that podcast feed getting into your mobile device device so you can listen to us as you run as you exercise as you walk the dog or do whatever it is you do when you're listening to your podcasts so Candid experience. Candid experience is a big theme that people have been talking about you know, for as long as I can remember, right? Since it was coined maybe about 10 years ago. And I remember five years ago talking a lot about Candid experience and producing several decks about this and speaking at conferences, and that kind of died off. But there was a massive resurgence in the last kind of two years around this topic. It became a hot topic to talk about. And some people perhaps uh, would have thought that come March and April and May this year, As the pandemic spread and the recession kicked in, that maybe candid experience wouldn't be such a focus. But you find, as you did last week with our guest Eunice from LEGO, you find that organizations, many organizations, are putting in even renewed and increased focus on candidate experience to talk about her own personal experience and that of our organization. This week, our guest and joining me today is the fantastic fantastic Shannon Custard. And Shannon is the Global Talent Acquisition Manager at Ingat Group, which is probably known more to you uh, as Ikea, a brand that we're all too familiar with. But just in case there's somebody somewhere listening, Shannon, who doesn't know who Ikea is, perhaps you can give us a bit of a background on yourself and one of the company that is Ikea.
1: Of course, thank you. Uh, So, yeah, I'm Shannon, and I'm excited to be here today. And I work for Inca Group, uh, also known as IKEA Retail, and we are one of 12 companies that operate under the IKEA brand family. Um, For IKEA Retail, we operate in over 31 uh, countries, and we support uh, over 160,000 coworkers globally. And if you're not familiar with us, we are a global home furnishing company uh, with a vision to create a better life, for the many people in the world. And we do this through offering a wide range of well designed functional home furnishing products at prices so low that anybody um, can afford it and make their house their home. And what I do uh, for IKEA Retail is I lead the talent acquisition organization and we support all programs related to employer branding, recruiting, onboarding, offboarding and our staffing vendor framework. And we're quite a new organization. uh, So we're only a couple years old. uh, So we are still actively learning um, and building our processes. Uh, So I'm excited to share a bit of what we're doing today and uh, and have a great chat.
0: And I should probably add, uh, Shannon's joining us from Sweden from a place called Malmo, is that the correct pronunciation? Malma, yeah. Malma. Uh, which, uh, for those of you who want to check it in the map, uh, uh, I've had the pleasure of visiting Shannon in Malma, and you fly into Copenhagen is the easiest way in Denmark, and get a wonderful train across the bridge to Malma, and it is just a beautiful, peaceful place. Um, so yeah. close to C- Cosmopolitan City and IKEA is everywhere there, and 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 Shannon and her team have been so gracious to welcome myself and my colleagues over the years in, in Malma. Um, But I want to get into kind of maybe your thoughts on some of the more topical issues that are happening around talent acquisition at the moment, Shannon. And so that means it's time for our weekly news. So in the news this week, Shannon, our first comes from one of the staff writers at Yahoo Finance. And Lydia Smith um, is talking about why employers are looking for a purple (laughs) swirl. And so this article, for those of you who haven't read it, we'll share it out on LinkedIn um, in the chat, or you can Google Why Employers Are Looking for Purple Squirrels by Lydia Smith. Lydia um, talks about a common practice, I think, or at least in my opinion, Shannon, keen to hear what you think, about recruiters who are looking for these really difficult to find skills. And she she argues that this is perhaps... um, a futile effort. It's not very good for inclus- inclusiveness. Um, mm-hmm. it's also, you know, perhaps just impossible to do. Um, and I kind of I don't know you I read this and went, yep. Um, uh, I don't think this is a recruiter problem though. I think you know, in the process of hiring, perhaps recruiters are actively trying to fight against this. We don't like looking for purple squirrels. What, what's your experience uh, uh around this area and your thoughts on the article?
1: Yeah, I mean I, I think it's a it's a it's a well placed article and um, I agree. I think most recruiters have experienced being asked for kind of this very big list of requirements and experience that often um, becomes a bit unrealistic. And and in my experience, it's often not actually even reflective of the true need in the role. And I, you know. What I think our role within talent acquisition is, is we we really need to make sure that we're asking strong questions to our hiring leaders so that we understand why they feel they need all of these pieces because, you know, the, the article is kind of spot on. If you create too many requirements, you're really starting to limit the talent that you will ultimately find or that will ultimately be interested and again, as as I mentioned, we we often find that's not actually it's not actually the need. And so, some of what um, I've done in the past, and what we've really been encouraging our recruiters here to do during the strategy meetings is, you know, how can you ask more questions? How can you really make sure that you're aligning on what is a need and what is a preference? And when you get kind of those big lists of preferences, which I kind of think all hiring managers do, I'm a hiring manager from time to time, and Sometimes I do it, I just think it's the natural behavior, unfortunately. Um, But a lot of that can really be solved by using insight reports um, and showing your hiring leaders kind of what what the market actually yields, what their requirements are doing. Um, And my, my favorite thing to do in these instances is to speak with the hiring leader and ask them about, okay, well, tell me about the most successful person you've ever seen in this role. Tell me about their background. Tell me how long they were in the role because what you often find out is that we're limiting the profile to post but the people that are highly successful in the role today don't even have this experience. And that, that is often a way to kind of unlock this and loosen the requirements.
0: I think it's an excellent point. By the way, I'm going to give a shout out to any of our live listeners or viewers to jump in on the comments or questions on LinkedIn or YouTube for Shannon. If you have any questions or comments are in our news items or our theme of canned experience, uh, any questions you want to put to Shannon, please jump into the chat. We'd love to hear them live and answer them. I remember a few years ago, Shannon, reading an article that Josh Burson shared, uh, I, and I can't remember the reference that he had, but it was a, a re- research a study um, to do with a financial services firm in the U.S., a bank, I'm going to say, right? But Let's say um, they were hiring a, a whole load of folks who were in kind of these, um, uh, for want of a better word, sales roles, and the, the, the hiring team had a profile they hired to. But they gone in and done the science on what actually made someone successful in that role, and there was literally zero correlation between the top requirements and the actual performance. And like, I think they they uncovered that people who worked, for example, in um, secondhand car sales, um, there was a really strong correlation there. Um, there was a correlation between, um, uh, uh, you know, an educational requirement that just was nothing to do with what was being asked for. But long story short, to your point, they, when they did the research and looked at what actually makes people work in this it was different to the spec. And what really kind of got me, and I've been using this quote for several years, and the article references it just to bring it up, was a piece of research published in HBO a few years ago based on something that some some a uh, study that Eula Packard actually did, which demonstrated that um, in the study, at least uh, the, 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 the authors allege that when you look at the requirements for a role, the average man will re- apply to that job if he fulfills at least sixty percent, whereas the average woman needs at least hundred percent. and it was you know pointing out that you know the unintended consequences of big, long lists of requirements and how you can you know you know uh, unintentionally dissuade a whole bunch of people from applying because you know you're not looking at the psyche of how people apply. And, and how do you, I know how I advise individuals to, to write specs, but in IKEA, um, has it been something you guys have implemented where you've looked at, you know, defining must-haves between preferences, like actually making that distinction as opposed to just a big laundry list of things we'd like to have?
1: Yeah, and, you know, what I would say is uh, sometimes it depends on the business or the role, right? We When we look at our store-based roles, a lot of those positions, especially kind of in the entry points, there isn't a huge list of must-haves, right? We're looking for individuals who really want to work in our environments, work with customers, and help impact people. And that's not necessarily something you get from a very specific experience. Um, I do think in some roles, we we have been working with the organization to kind of finesse or reduce uh, those requirements. But we have an understanding that by building kind of huge lists uh, at the end of a job ad, you are going to dissuade some people. You you are going to limit it, um, and so if if anything, I would say our jobs are often a bit more open. Um, and we we have uh, you know as I mentioned before, because we're kind of on this journey and we're at the beginning, we know we even have work to do where we can be more clear. We can be more clear about what are the requirements of this role. And you know, I think the benefit of having clarity and not having the long list is you you want people to apply who are qualified. And, um, and there is a behavior out there where, you know, people apply even when they're not qualified or they don't apply if they're not fully qualified. And so you have, you have to kind of, I want to say, bridge that gap. And then through other technologies or processes like pre-screen questions or, um, you know, prep, prep, prefer, preferential questions um, in your application process. Then you can really start to kind of uh, narrow down that funnel of the people that have the experience versus not because that that was another thing from the article. Right. They were talking about when you have too many requirements, people might lie because they might feel like if I don't have that, I won't be considered. So you kind of you back yourself into all these corners um, if you ask for too much.
0: I'm going to ask you in a few minutes about perhaps the process in Ikea. And we have a question for one of our listeners around the same thing. But before I do, let me just maybe jump into our second article this week from Forbes. Niall, um, this is uh, an interesting one. Uh, now is not the time to drop the ball with candidate communication, right? But Jay Miller writes in this article that whilst there may be an impression that the market has returned to being one of a kind of... Um, a well, buyer's market being, you know, the, the the hiring company's market, not so much a candidate's market, that that is kind of counterintuitive. And, and now is not the time to pull back from this. And um, I really love to hear your thoughts on this, because I know a lot of leaders maybe listening who work in talent talent acquisition might be feeling the pinch. Um, You know, well, I guess not every company is affected the same way. I know many, many leaders who are being asked to just, you know, tighten up their budgets. And sometimes there's a misperception that you know, if we have a 20% drop in volume of hiring in an organization, therefore we can just cut the budget by 20%. And it forgets that things like candidate experience, candidate experience, you can, you'll just drop it by 20%. And you know, the the flip, and this article is pointing it out, I think quite a bit, is that you know, recruiting your recruiting effort doesn't just go down because you've less recs, because we we are most of us living in a world where there's more applications, mm-hmm. and if you care about candidate communication. That's gonna you're gonna have to put effort and resources into that kind communication. So, uh, you know, w- w- what are your thoughts on this? Do you think that you know maybe just for, from a bigger perspective for the moment, for just gen- generally within companies, what are your thoughts on that kind of dilemma whereby if a company is is being asked to ch- tighten up, you know, you know, how do they balance that 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 dilemma with the fact that candid experience is still going to be so important and it lasts so much longer than the short term.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the, the hope is that, you know, in advance of this, if you're lucky, that you are working within a process that is somewhat defined and that there's continuity within and that you have some of these automated communications set up within your systems and tools because that helps you. And they're, and they're referencing that even in the article, right? Those things are helpful. I, 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 I agree. I mean, I think communication, it's a key part of the recruiting process. Um, And a lot of that article, or at least how I took it. And and again, sometimes when we think about communication and recruiting, we really focus on communications through systems or transparency about where I am in a process. And in in my experience, um, sometimes we don't take the time to kind of look beneath the surface, because what what I would say my experience um, throughout my entire career when it comes to communication is, Sometimes it's not about your written communications or how quickly you're getting back to the candidates. Sometimes it's about the verbal communications you're having with people and the unintended expectations or timelines or commitments that you're making in dialogues and conversations with people that you then don't meet or follow through with. And so when we think about just kind of communication in its totality, it is bigger than just, again, these digital communications it is every time you're engaging with people how are you how are you ensuring that moment is creating clarity and care um because again missing that moment can create a bigger ripple in a candidate's experience than than an email
0: you mentioned a word uh, i'd like to explore a little more a few minutes ago which is process and the importance of a a good process we have a question from uh, samaya uh, who's asking, how are you ensuring all the applicants in the ATS are being screened? Maybe I can ask you to, to think about that question, but maybe answer a bigger question, which is more around what is the process? You know, is there is there first of all a process um in the general hiring process in, in IKEA? And if so, you know, what does that look like? And um what do you think, you know, is there you know, where where can you leverage a good process to basically yeah. hit on that good, those, those good moments, that experience piece you're talking about?
1: yeah and this again in all transparency this is where we're on a journey uh, right now within ikea retail as i mentioned we we just kind of launched the recruiting organization a little uh, over about 18 months ago and so with that we're we're just we're early in our journey and what we're looking to build right now is a sense of continuity but when you think about continuity across 30 different countries across 30 different cultures it becomes it becomes kind of compounded and complicated, right? Um, And so when we talk about recruiting a lot, uh, we often talk about a process and consistency. And one thing that we're really trying to do within IKEA retail is be thoughtful that maybe consistency in kind of the true form of that word is not what we want. Maybe we want continuity and predictability so that if you're applying within our processes, you have an understanding of, where you are, what to expect, and what the next steps are, and I, you know, I would say yes. We have, um, we are in the process of building a set process uh, globally, but we are not perfect at it today, right? So our expectation is that candidates that go through our experience um, have the ability to really experience IKEA as the brand and understand who we are, understand kind of how values based. Um, we are as a company and how we work and what it kind of looks and feels like. And that—that that is a piece that is quite important to us. And again, we are we are still in the process of developing. So,
0: yeah. We we had uh, Eunice Clemens Tweedy from Lego on the show last week. I think you got to see her as well. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of parallels there. We, we mentioned um, the concept of talent experience as it relates to consumer brands there. And my guess is Ikea is not dissimilar in that, you know a candidate isn't just a candidate a candidate is most likely also a customer or the sister or brother or cousin or father or daughter of a of a customer or future customer and perhaps that adds an, an extra obligation on you and your team and responsibility because it isn't just about the hiring experience that candidate that slash customer just sees ikea as a, as a as an organization as a brand as an identity and whether it's applying for a job or purchasing something in the store or ordering online, it's just, it's the one company. So, you know, how do you feel about that responsibility? And what is your, you and your team's kind of uh, reaction to that responsibility that it's more than just the hiring brand that you have to be concerned about?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I would say it's a huge responsibility. It's not one that we take lightly. And because again, we are kind of building and so new, I think that the beauty of not having everything figured out is that when we unearth or we find something that is not perfect or that we can improve on, we really look at it as an opportunity of, okay, well, how can we improve this experience? How can we help this candidate or this group of candidates understand more about us? Um, And and I think this is, it is definitely in the consumer space, but I think it's quite uh, unique to every company, right? We all have Our culture and our values and the ways of working within our organizations. And part of our responsibility as talent acquisition professionals is really to ensure that as people are going through our selection processes, they gain a better understanding of who we are. Um, And and again, you want that to be positive, right? (laughs) By and large, you want that experience to be positive. You want people to feel like it was clear and fair and quick. Um, And just like with just like with customer service just like with anything with service sometimes you do a really brilliant job and what we hope to learn from those is how do we repeat it and sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes you have a mistake or something that you have to learn from and this this is where again ikea is a brilliant company because we really believe in kind of test and try and learn and how do we take these moments where things aren't perfect and just Figure out okay, well, what caused that, and how can we now go back and create a solution uh, that, and you know, to give other people better experiences in the future.
0: Two things have stood out to me so far that you've discussed, Shannon. One is obviously the importance of expectation settings. You know, set the expectations, make sure people understand. And second is that no process, no interaction can be perfect, right? And you're going to make mistakes. You've used the word before with me, um, compassion. Um, as it relates to candidate experience, can you talk me through what you mean by compassion and and why it's so important?
1: Yeah, I, I do. I talk quite a bit about kind of compassion and and caring and empathy, and I I think um, I think what, so. I often talk about kind of again those those words, and, and sometimes as a recruiter, it might feel a little strange, right? How am I supposed to be empathetic to a candidate that is in my selection process because? These words are big, right? Compassion is, it's a big word, it's a big feeling. And what what we want, and again, what we're on a journey to do, but what I hope that everyone that I'm working with at some point kind of understands is, sometimes showing compassion or empathy or care is in the really small things, it's in the subtle things. Um, And that can be, again, that can be through having really brilliant job ads that are super clear that you really stand behind. That can be by setting very clear expectations within the process that you actually meet. Um, And sometimes it can be the parts of the process that maybe aren't the most fun for recruiters. Like when we have to tell somebody we're not moving forward with them. I think in all of the moments that require compassion and empathy, it it is that moment because it is not a fun moment as a recruiter to tell somebody and give them that message. It is never, it is never the message that you want to give, um, but it is the reality, right? For every role, there is someone that gets the job and there is potentially somebody that does not. And so in those conversations, I think that that's where as recruiters, you can have kind of the the biggest impact on someone. And what, for me, why it's so important, you know, I recruited um, for quite some time in the US and I was uh, actively recruiting in, 2007, 2008, 2009, when we were going through quite a big recession there. And I, I remember distinctly prior to that moment, it, there was a, a substantial shift when I was calling to decline people that candidates were very gracious and thankful just that I had called to tell them that we weren't moving forward. And it, and it was such a, it was a strange thing at first when it was happening. And it, it honestly, it took me a little bit to understand that Oftentimes when we have these big um, rises in unemployment or uncertainty that happens kind of in the world, what people are looking for is a sense of clarity. And if that clarity that we're offering is just that unfortunately we're not moving forward, sometimes that is enough. And that that is being compassionate and caring, even if it's not the message I wanna give, so.
0: I think it's, it's even more important now, I think, you know, most of the world has a heightened state of anxiety right now. You know, the pandemic um, has had this this very unique effect that anxiety has just risen. Uh, I've read lots of studies. Most studies show that everyone's more anxious, but particularly certain age groups. um, Kind of typically the 18 to 28 age group has been signaled out in several articles I've seen as being, or actually even 14 to 18, as being particularly anxious. Um, Maybe the kind of early, early stages of development of your kind of adulthood. um, but I we, we are all more anxious about the economy, about our lives, about you know, being able to see your friends and family, so many different things. Um I think it's important to your point to remember that as a recruiter, you know, this phone call, which see you we're getting candidate 46 out of 80, um, it, it's a human interaction and you just don't know what's happened in that person's day, particularly at the moment. And yes. it's just taking the time and I like, think this is a pressure that some recruiters are under that. We may be busier with the volume of applications, but actually, maybe each individual kind of just wants a bit more of our time because they want that compassion, the understanding. And I, I know I I I I have found myself, you know, erring on a on a certain side of this argument that isn't necessarily popular, not popular with lawyers anyway. Is you know honesty and compassion, whereas you know you you ask a lawyer about a, a, a process like. Don't tell them anything about why they didn't get selected. Just say this. And you're given a boilerplate line. And i always concerns because my actual experience in 20 years doing this is that the more honest and you are with somebody, um, because if you have run a good process, you can afford to be honest, they are they really appreciative of, of that feedback. Whereas when you give them a boilerplate and they go, that just doesn't add up, that, or it's just not, it sounds generic. Like that's when somebody gets litigious. That's when somebody starts to go, I'm going to get them and has it in for you, right? People who have a, you know, maybe a negative experience getting rejected right, after several interviews, uh, that can be positive if someone's just honest and says, this just didn't work out. We, we've made a decision. I don't know if it's the right decision. We had to make a decision. We, we chose somebody else and not you. And maybe you are better. I don't know, but we had to objectively look at it and the other person got the job. But listen, you did nothing wrong and apply again. That's nice, you know. People kind of appreciate that kind of feedback, but you know, it isn't. It, it, we do struggle, I think, with and the article earlier mentioned this 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 balance and the role mm-hmm. of technology. I'm interested to get your view on this. Like, where can technology, uh, you know, do some good in this process? I know that you know you're perhaps at the advantageous position where you guys are building out your team, building what will be the kind of talent acquisition structure and process for IKEA. Have you looked into technologies without naming necessarily any tech? Have you looked into any yeah, yeah. areas of the process you think that's good to put tech in, or an experience like X is is appropriate? What are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I would say I think technology is a huge role to play in what we do, especially in kind of reducing some of the less meaningful administration that's naturally part of our recruiting process, right? And and this was even in the article, so looking at scheduling technologies and Um, those things are brilliant and help everybody, right? I don't, I don't know many recruiters that work with a scheduling technology that are frustrated that they don't have to send five emails to get the same interview scheduled. Um, from, a, from, a, again, from a part of the funnel that you're talking about or part of the process, I think technology can play a really big part at the beginning of your process because, you know, and maybe especially when we see kind of this increase We want to ensure that everybody is getting a level of care. Everybody is getting a level of review. And one of the ways to really enable that is through technology. It is through using the technology um, through your ATS to its full benefit. Uh, We also, in many of our countries, use interviewing, like video interviewing technology. And again, this is something that we are testing and kind of trying right now. definitely got pushed into overdrive with everything that's happened in the nine months, uh, last nine months. Um, And one of the things that we are right now trying to kind of assess in the countries where we're using it is, well, how, how is it going? What, what do candidates think about it? And then even more so, how can we make it, how can we make it better? How can we personalize it more? And so I I would share in the, um, in the technology that we use, you have the ability to, you, you can do many different things, but, You have the ability to either just have a question appear on a screen and then have the candidate answer that question um, one way, or you can have a recruiter pre-record themselves asking the question and then the person responding. And again, what what we're testing right now is what is the difference in the experience when you do those things? I think overall, what we're beginning to understand, and I think even from our recruiting teams, they feel it's a much more... A caring journey or um, engaging journey. If I'm asking you a question and maybe giving you a bit of context versus you just reading some text. Um, But both, again, from an uh, efficiency perspective and effectiveness perspective, have the same outcome. It's just how do you as an organization take a little bit more time to think about, okay, but how do we make this better? How do we personalize this more? How do we make it more? indicative or reflective of our brand, and, and that'll be different based on your company, right? If your company is really focused on speed and tech, you're gonna you're probably going to have a very different application and interview experience than you might with a, a store-based role with IKEA. It, they look different, and they should look different, because it should really be based on what you need to understand as a candidate to join us.
0: I love that example. I've discussed this with several people where, you know, we rush to push technology in as the solution. And, you know, it's too often we forget that the technology has to be configured and set up, but it's how you do that that can give you the real advantage. To your point, you can put a process in place that's driven by technology, but the messaging, the language used in the automated messages, for example, the thought you put into whether you, to your point, record a human asking you the question versus the text. These are the differences that actually personalize it. So, you know, technology on its own, I don't think solves the problem. Technology plus a compassionate recruiter who understands her audience. I think that that is powerful. Uh, we've got some other examples here. Uh, just some 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 call, uh, some call-outs, some comments here for Chris Jennings, you know, saying candidates can in fact be your customers if They have a negative experience and in fact blur the image of the company from a consumer's perspective and household names, therefore, have a bigger responsibility. I totally agree with you, Chris. Um, Draja Misko. Hey Draja, good to have you on the on the show. Uh Draža basically pointing out some technology that he's seen used by CHROs around surveys. I'm gonna maybe ask you about that. I think that's a good use. I know that if you look at Jerry Crispin and Lane Orler from the Candy Experience Awards, Jerry and Lane always talk about the consistent themes year after year that try better canned experience. And one of those giving people the opportunity to give feedback, you know, mm-hmm. and surveys to that, to that extent um, uh, can do that. Have you experienced using surveys, whether it's on a hiring manager, and cans side? Uh, and if so, what are your thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, I've experienced both. So um, in my, in my past uh, company at the time, we had both candidate and hiring manager surveys. But within um, IKEA Group now, we've launched a candidate survey in about half of our markets. So again, it's, it's new and we're, we're turning it on as we go. Um, and we're really looking to understand both kind of overall satisfaction, but we also give candidates the ability to leave comments. And what's curious about that is um, what we can see are kind of trends happening globally but then each country, because again, we have recruiting teams in, in every, almost every country that we operate in, each country then is able to go and look at their very specific trends and make adjustments within their markets. Uh, and I, I believe I said this earlier, but you know one of, one, of our, one of our challenges is sometimes a trend is consistent across every country or across every market, right? So we really look to measure how satisfied are you with the interview, with the application, with communication, um, and what we see by and large is we have an opportunity in communication, we can be doing that better. So we are digging into that. However, when we look at different markets, sometimes the feedback is, it's, it's different. And this, this is what I mean by what I said earlier, in the sense of, we really need to push ourselves to go a little bit deeper into kind of the feedback or under the surface because it's easy to stop at, okay, communication. What other automated communication can we add? How can we add this level of transparency? But potentially by not asking the question or looking at the feedback and really assessing it, what we might miss is maybe what we find out is that in one store, we have a manager or leader that tells every person they hire, oh my gosh, it was so great. I had a really great conversation. The recruiter will call you tomorrow And the recruiter has no idea that that message is being delivered and they're calling the candidate three days later. Right. Mm -hmm. In that instance, you have both a communication issue and a follow through issue. And I, you know, I, I would say in my entire career, so not, not just here, I think one of our bigger challenges from a candidate experience perspective is follow up and follow through. We set expectations constantly through our processes and then we don't meet them. Whether it's, an accident or we just, you know, things happen. I mean, I, I've i done it. Uh, it's That to me is the biggest risk when we think about the candidate experience um, overall. And again, right now we're looking into all of the details within our markets as well.
0: Yeah, I think like Samson here has asked a question that many people might ask, which is why is the candidates who are turned down or giving generic reasons instead of telling them specific reasons which could help them improve their chances of getting the next job. And, um, you know, I think what's often forgotten is that no recruiter wakes up and tells, you know, and says to herself, I'm going to basically give a crappy candid experience to everyone I talk to today. <laughs> it's it's you know, I, I don't believe there's a single recruiter in the world who, who sets out to do that. But to your point, is we're busy, right? And there's so much volume, and you you have to balance what you can achieve, and you've got pressure to deliver on on hires. Uh, Esther Romero has commented here. Uh, it's a long comment, but I'm gonna take the, the first part of it for sure. Um And she's saying what's important for her is to create a story mapping candidate journey where you have different key contact points with your candidate, So you make sure that she is always aware of the next step is. Um, I think that 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 idea, like marketeers do this around consumer. What is the consumer journey and the touch points? And you agree what touch points you're going to actually have in this process and who's going to be responsible, what our SLAs are, all this kind of stuff, you know. Uh, what, you know, have you had that, uh, done that exercise in any parts of the business or your teams or what are your thoughts around those kind of, you know, candidate journey mapping exercises?
1: Yeah. So, again, um, when we, so we we switched applicant tracking systems um, at the same time that we launched our new recruiting organization. Um, and, you know, I think what we've identified is we would like to differentiate the candidate journeys more because right now a lot of the journeys that our candidates go through are similar Um, So there's work going on right now to do exactly uh, what they were referencing. We want to kind of map what is the journey that somebody should have if they're applying to one of our stores versus one of our corporate offices versus maybe one of our digital hubs. What does that journey look like? What are those key and critical touch points? And, you know, we talk a a little bit about kind of what are those moments that matter, right? Because that's that's what we really want to go and focus on is say, you know, if a moment that matters is that you apply and you're getting some level of response or understanding that your application's been received and that we're reviewing it, then we need to make sure that our systems and tools support that. Um, and that's, and again, we are, we are actively working on that. We, we do some parts of it quite well, and we have other parts that we know we need to improve. And that, that is just kind of where we are today. And we have a lot of things planned in the next, uh, in the coming months to kind of figure that out.
0: I love you mentioned that that concept of moments. One of the most inspirational books I've read in this area, it's not about canned experience, but I think it's very applicable to canned experience, is one by Chip and Dan Heath called The Power of, Mom- Power of Moments. I don't know if you've read it, Shannon. you haven't. I'm going to no. send it to you. Um, it's It's awesome, right? And it talks about creating a moment and how, you know, a strong a consumer experience are driven by these wonderful moments and that that is kind of the key to, it's the secret sauce to so many businesses and how you create this fantastic moment or in your process, give, give other, others the opportunity to create moments. I think it's something that people should study if they're interested in candid experiences, what makes a great moment. So I think Esther's point around mapping the journey is really important. Mapping the journey, but then you still need to stop and look at the key moments. I think you have to be honest with your resources and say, this is these are the resources we have or can give. And therefore, with these resources, how do we create the best um, journey with the right amount of moments for the different journeys um, and set the expectations correctly. So again, I don't think, uh, I don't think giving an amazing kind of experience is about throwing everything at it and throwing loads of money about it. I think it's, it's a lot simpler. It's down to things like expectation setting. This is, you won't get here from us for three days. Is that cool? Great. And then they hear from you in two and a half days and they go, well, thank you. Or maybe it's fourteen days because you just can't give a three-day response. I think people appreciate that and go, "Well, that's okay. I now know what to expect." Difficult on the scale, I think you hire for. Um, and, and, and this year, I've got a two-year-old trying to beat down my door here to come in and say hello to his, Myself and Shannon started the show by talking about the 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 the, the COVID year of having children um, come in all the time. So. So, so please excuse any any two year olds uh, jibber jabber. He's he's a good guy. He, he makes sense. No one can understand him. But <laughs> you do have this kind of there's you know it's not that difficult. You know I've spoken about the fact that you know a candidate experience are just the accumulation of all the moments that the candidate experiences, and they give you a, a thumbs up or a thumbs down as they go through the journey, and in yeah. their opinion. And it's I did at the end of that. Did you end up with overall thumbs up? Like like that's what you're trying to do. But can you create moments there um, uh, that that will give people a, a a a a a feeling that they'll remember right for you by the way we got aaron Daniels just letting you know shannon that he's listening and sending this message from his hemnes desk so another ikea fan with, <laughs> with, with ikea furniture another recruiter with a recruiting leader with with with, with the ikea f- uh, furniture there all right which is really really important um i, I gotta i do if you don't mind just 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 throw one or two more comments for the audience and questions yeah. at you, shannon um, before we run out of time with you, right? So uh, Ula Gonzalez is on YouTube and is asking, based on your experience, do you see any influence that employer brand has on candidate experience? Oh, maybe that, maybe yes. It's an expectation thing. <laughs> what do you think?
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. I think the uh, your employer brand has a huge impact on candidate experience because, again, a dynamic of the candidate experience is allowing the candidate to get to know your company. And that, that is the entire goal of an employer brand, right? Is to help you understand what, what is awesome about working for IKEA, what are the quirky pieces about working for IKEA. Um, all, all of that is kind of one of the big intents and purposes of the employer brand overall. And we, we actually are in the process of uh, launching a new employer brand across IKEA right now. Because some of the feedback that, that we have heard and seen is that maybe we have not been super clear about who we are as an employer and what it means to work for us. We, we really have, most people understand who we are as a consumer or who we are from a retailer, but they, they don't necessarily understand all the fantastic parts of working for us. And so we are actively launching that. And um, they're, in my opinion, they're completely interconnected because whether or not you have kind of a a standard employer brand or you have a campaign or a strategy around it, you are building an employer brand through your process. right? However good, however opportunistic, it is impacting how people feel about not just your company as a consumer, but also how you are treated through the interview process. You assume that's how you will be treated as, as a coworker, as an employee. Um, and that that's the challenge, right? Especially when we, you have kind of these highs and lows is how do you really create, again, continuity? So the majority of people going through your process not only have a true understanding of who we are as a company, um, have a great experience and then feel at the end they can make an informed decision based on all of these pieces from their entire journey with us.
0: I think that point around how you know, a candidate will look at the experience of applying um, and relate that to what it would like be like to work for you. It's so, it's, it's so, so important. I know so many tech companies who say that they are the leading providers of tech and they're innovating, and then you go to apply for their jobs on their career site and you've got this horrible tech and it's clunky and you're kind of going, really? You're all about tech and engineering? Whereas, you know, um, James Maley has has added a com- comment that, you know, he sees one of IKEA's key values is simplicity. So I'm mm-hmm. guessing that, to answer kind of ula Gonzalez's question if you understand that is one of the values of the company you're going to probably expect that in in an interview process in an apply process and and you're going to hopefully expect that in the workplace as well that simplicity is valued and 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 people live and breathe it i guess it's the challenge of your team as you build it and build the processes to go how can we incorporate these values into in, in into the organization and uh, then Aaron, just, Aaron Daniels just uh, coming in uh, saying for retailers, especially your in-store experience, service, and engagement uh, from employees can be your best recruiting tool. Okay. Um, and I, you know, I know as a, a, an avid IKEA shopper, um, that that's something that you know I think resonates with me. That you would expect that kind of positive experience, and it does really help. If you have such great colleagues in store, um, that's going to really help you and your team when you're hiring. But I think also people forget, Shannon, you've made this point to me many times in the past. Ikea is more than the people that most people see in the stores. People forget that you guys run so many restaurants. You know, yeah. You've know, you got such a big restaurant staff. You're a food retailer. You're an online business, an online e-tailer, and such a big distribution and warehousing teams as well. There's just yeah. so many colleagues who do things that people don't necessarily associate with Ikea. And that's probably the challenge around the employer brand as well. I've run out of time with you. I'd love to keep picking your brain, right? Um, you've got children who are coming back from 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 football. I have kids who burst down my door. So I was wondering, maybe Shannon, if you wouldn't mind closing with um, advice you might be able to share with our audience. That is either advice you want to give or has been given to you over the years that you think uh, we can add to our short list of tips and advice from leaders that we've we've spoken to. Yeah,
1: um, yeah, um, I. You know, what I would say is I I think that within talent acquisition, and especially um, if you're actively recruiting, I would encourage you to remember kind of the beauty in what we do. We help people find their dream role, find their dream job, move into an organization for the first time and create their future career. And I think sometimes, again, in these moments where maybe, your admin is ticking up because of more people being interested in your company, or um, maybe you have more roles than you're used to having. It's really easy to kind of forget that and and lose a bit of that passion. But I, I I would just really encourage us to always kind of come back to that. That's the beauty in what we do. We find brilliant talent to bring into our organizations, to make our organizations better and more successful, and and for me, especially with working with IKEA retail, I want to bring people in that can have a full career, right? Not just a job, but something that is much more than just one role or one job. And that, I don't know if if there's anything I can leave people with in general. It's it's don't don't forget that piece because that that is what is brilliant about what we do.
0: Yeah, I think it is a privilege having recruited for twenty odd years. It's a privilege to do this. And yeah. it isn't like selling something, like selling software or selling something else where you kind of go, somebody buys something and they move on. It has such an impact on people's lives. like It's so important, so integral. The job somebody has, the career they have, the employer they work for can have such a direct correlation to their happiness, their family's happiness, their friends' happiness. Yeah. I think it's it's you know it's a privilege to be able to do this and and I really appreciate that tip, Shannon. Thank you so much for joining us from Malmö. Uh, I think you know, given another month, it'll be pitch black in Malmö <laughs> this time of night, and yes. there's still some light outside. So I wish you well as you head into winter and into the darkness. But it's so amazing to have such a bright light of talent acquisition working away in Malmö throughout this winter, building such a fantastic team and resource in the talent acquisition team. I hope you can come on again in a few months, maybe early next year and give us an update on what the team have been doing and some of the initiatives you're implementing on this fantastic journey you're taking the business through. Thanks for joining us, Shannon.
1: Of course, thank you.
0: And don't forget, we're going to be back next week. I'm going to tell you a little bit about our guest next week. We have the fantastic Barbara Lee, who's the SVP of Global Talent Acquisition with Nielsen. And she's going to be talking about um, how we overcome the challenges of hybrid offices. Obviously, we're going through such disruption in terms of what the office place actually looks like, what we mean by an office place. And um, Barbara somebody who uh, early this year kind of gave me my first warning signal of what was coming to me in Europe and, and others in Europe when I was on a call with her in January and she was sharing with me her her insights and what her team were, were sharing with her from China and elsewhere in Asia as they were probably the first to kind of experience this and how different offices were shut, shutting down and families were being separated as they were being quarantined. And this was way back in, in kind of mid to early January that I first had a conversation like that with Barbara and I got a sense that things were, were coming. So Barbara somebody who I think really has a global perspective on things and gives real insights from from her role in Nielsen. Um, she's also somebody, by the way, coincidentally, who lives down the road from me. Um, and it's, it's, it's great to, 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 to have somebody so talented and inspirational with such insight. I'm so close to home, but I'll be bringing her through the shortlist live, hopefully into your phones, uh, living rooms and home offices next week. That show is going to be October 7th. And that is at the usual time of 4 p.m. UK time. That's 11 a.m. on the East Coast of the US and 8 a.m on the west coast of the U.S. and 11 p.m. in Singapore and, of course, other parts of Asia. We will have all of these shows recorded and available for you to, de- to watch on demand as you wish by going to socialtalent.com forward slash the shortlist. And don't forget, the shortlist is also available as a podcast format. This show will be out in a few hours' time this evening in Europe, um, this afternoon in the U.S., on Apple and Spotify and other good um, podcast mediums. But yeah, I really thank our audience as well, our live audience for, uh, with their comments. Don't forget, if you want to get the most value, join us live on LinkedIn or YouTube each week, and we'll answer your questions and give you insights directly from our guest speakers. Please do join us next week. Don't forget to check out our back catalog, and we hope to hear from you soon.